Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast on mental health for folks of color. I'm your host, John Zell Anderson, licensed professional counselor. I'm the owner of Panoramic Counseling, where I specialize in treating teens and young adults in Richmond, Virginia, and throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia through online counseling. Let's get into the show. Before we get into the episode, I want to thank this episode's sponsor, Alitu. Podcasting is a lot of hard work, which is why I'm so glad that I found Alitu. Their user-friendly sound editing software has cut my editing time down to a third, leaving me the space to bring you more content. Shout out to Allegra, Judy, and the rest of their support staff who are always there to help me navigate the various challenges this podcast journey throws my way. To learn more about Alitu, go to the link in this episode's show notes to get started with a free seven-day trial. Using my link also helps to support this podcast. Hello, everyone. I am looking forward to getting into the second part of this review that I've been doing of Robert T. Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Last week in episode one, I talked about the theme of not all intelligence is equal, which is kind of the premise of the book, talking about the difference between being savvy and knowledgeable about how things work versus simply having degrees or book smarts. And today's episode is going to be under the theme of some of the problems that we have with money. And remember that this is part of a four-part breakdown of this book that I'm doing. So next week, we'll talk more about like the misconceptions and miseducation that we tend to have around money. And then the last episode, the following week, we'll be talking about getting out of the, the rat race, which the author refers to as the negative cycles that a lot of people find themselves in with money and financial distress. So to hop in today, like I did last time, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read all of my highlights kind of in one chunk. So it'll sound like I'm reading a page or so from the book, but in reality, it is small pieces of several chapters that I've kind of pieced together. And I do that so that I can be concise. And then after I read that, I'll come back and comment on some of the things that jumped out to me. And what I'm trying to do with each of these episodes is after I share some of the insights from the book, I kind of talk a little bit how I'm personally applying these principles in my own life, because at least from my perspective, I don't learn anything until I apply it. I can get something from a book, but until I'm able to put it into action or to do something hands-on with it, it doesn't revert into long-lasting habits. So with that being said, these quotes that I'm about to share, I will say that as I read them, they rubbed me the wrong way. And I think that is a strength of a book sometimes when the content of a book kind of bothers us. It either will make us put the book away or it'll make us dig a little bit deeper. I'll be honest with you, when I was going through this particular part of the book, it annoyed me to the point where I quit reading the book for about a day. And I was actually, I have the Kindle version, so I was actually going to return it to Kindle because there's like a return window or whatever. And I ended up doing that. But then about a day later, I was like, 
I think there's still more for me to learn. So I ended up downloading it again. So I can speak from personal experience that some of this stuff really did annoy me and kind of how it was boldly stated. But hopefully in me sharing this with you, it'll kind of get you thinking a little bit too. So to jump in, quote, it's easier to learn to work for money, especially if fear is your primary emotion when the subject of money is discussed. It's fear that keeps most people working at a job, the fear of not paying their bills, the fear of being fired, the fear of not having enough money, and the fear of starting over. That's the price of studying to learn a profession or trade and then working for money. Most people become a slave to money and then get angry at their boss. Learning to have money work for you is a completely different course of study. Most people have a price. And they have a price because of human emotions named fear and greed. First, the fear of being without money motivates us to work hard. And then once we get that paycheck, greed or desire starts us thinking about all the wonderful things money can buy. The pattern is then set. The pattern of get up, go to work, pay bills, get up, go to work, pay bills. People's lives are forever controlled by two emotions, fear and greed. Offer them more money, and they continue the cycle of increasing their spending. This is what I call the rat race. Let me explain the other emotion, desire. Some call it greed, but I prefer desire. It's perfectly normal to desire something better, prettier, more fun, or exciting. So people also work for money because of desire. They desire money for the joy they think it can buy, but the joy that money brings is often short-lived, and they soon need more money for more joy, more pleasure, more comfort, and more security. So they keep working, thinking money will soothe their souls that are troubled by fear and desire. But money can't do that. In fact, the reason many rich people are rich isn't because of desire, but because of fear. They believe that money can eliminate the fear of being poor, so they amass tons of it, only to find the fear gets worse. Now they fear losing the money. I have friends who keep working even though they have plenty. I know people who have millions who are more afraid now than they were when they were poor. They're terrified of losing it all. The fears that drove them to get rich got worse. They don't want to lose the big houses, the cars, and the high life money has bought them. They worry about what their friends will say if they lost all their money. So is a poor man happier? I asked. No, I don't think so, replied Rich Dad. The avoidance of money is just as psychotic as being attached to money. So many people say, oh, I'm not interested in money, yet they'll work at a job for eight hours a day. I want to teach you to master the power of money instead of being afraid of it. They don't teach that in school, and if you don't learn it, you become a slave to money. The main cause of poverty or financial struggle is fear and ignorance, not the economy or the government or the rich. It's self-inflicted fear and ignorance that keep people trapped. What intensifies fear and desire is ignorance. That is why rich people with lots of money often have more fear the richer they get. A human's life is a struggle between ignorance and illumination. Once a person stops searching for information and self-knowledge, ignorance sets in. That struggle is a moment-to-moment decision to learn to open or close one's mind. 
Never forget that fear and desire can lead you into life's biggest trap if you're not aware of them controlling your thinking. To spend your life living in fear, never exploring your dreams, is cruel. To work hard for money, thinking that it will buy you things that will make you happy, is also cruel. To wake up in the middle of the night terrified about paying bills is a horrible way to live. To live a life dictated by the size of a paycheck is not really living a life. Thinking that a job makes you secure is lying to yourself, and that's the trap I want you to avoid. End quote. So that was a mouthful to read. There's a few things that kind of jump out. The first that comes to mind is the idea that fear can keep us in a certain cycle that's not the healthiest for us. Um, And I explained in episode one how I kind of grew up around role models who were not the most financially savvy. It was a kind of that fear mentality of there's not enough, the, the rat race of maxing out credit cards and dodging bill collectors and stuff like that. That's kind of what I saw growing up. And so part of that made me fearful of debt and when I was becoming an adult. But I think more recently, as I also shared in episode one, the, the fear of investing, and primarily that's through the stock market, to save for retirement terrifies me, but I'm getting less stressed out about it because I'm taking the time to learn more about it. But the fear of risk had kept me away from even learning more about how this stuff works, right? And so the same thing about the fear of survival is something that keeps us going to work. And the author's definitely not saying People shouldn't have to work and everything should be easy, but it's kind of that juxtaposition between working for money and then the other principle in this book, which is having money work for you. And when we say money working for you, it's referring to doing something with your money that will make it grow, which in this, the author talks about a lot of different ways that you can make your money grow. And one of the things that really jumps out at me is what he refers to as the myth of saving. So while it's always good for people to have some money in savings to cover an emergency, there's a limit to how much you're supposed to save in a just traditional savings account because, and this gets into how the economy works and stuff like that, but most people know that the interest rate on a savings account is incredibly low. For example, I've had savings accounts where it's had several thousand dollars in it. And then at the end of the month, the bank gives me like one or two cents of interest. So your money doesn't really grow in a savings account. And something that I've been learning recently and through this book is that when you just pile your money up in a savings account, you're actually losing money because as time goes on, there's a principle called inflation where things become more expensive. So if you, say, put your money in a savings account, it's going to be worth less in the future just for having left it there. And so going back to the principle of having your money work for you, it's learning the different vehicles and ways that you can make your money grow over time. And then obviously the big thing in this book and you know, just kind of referring to the stock market and other forms of investment 
is the idea of compound interest. So you're putting your money into something that will grow, meaning it will make money off of the money that you put in. But then the interest that you earn also makes money. So that's what compound interest means. And basically, the longer you do that cycle, in theory, your your money will grow over time. We'll get more into that in the future episodes, but hopefully that kind of makes sense on the theme here in this book of the rich way of looking at things versus the poor way. So going back to the idea of working for money versus having money work for you, it's important to understand that while a salary is a form of income, there are limitations to it, right? So if you stop working, you stop having the resources to sustain your lifestyle. And so that's kind of the angle that the author gives of the importance of being able to do something with your income that makes it grow. So that For some people, the ability to get to the point where they don't have to work in order to maintain their lifestyle is the goal. It's called the FIRE movement, which stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And so that's the idea of you have no debt, and then you've also accumulated enough wealth that you don't have to work in order to maintain your lifestyle. And so I think the traditional sense that we see is work until you're 60 to 65, then retire, and then you have enough money to live out your golden years, right? Well, the idea that's kind of presented in this book is you don't have to wait until you're 65 to be able to retire if you make good choices with the money that you have throughout your lifetime. You can have money working for you so that you have more flexibility to do different things. And trust me, I'm not even going to attempt to go into the complexity and the nuance of how all of the stuff works, because like I said in the first episode, I'm learning all this stuff myself, so I'm definitely not an expert, but I'm more so just sharing kind of some of the principles that I'm learning along the way. And so to kind of give one more bullet point here before I get into the application section of this episode... As I was reading this section of the book, it kind of flipped my perspective because I grew up hearing that the United States is the wealthiest nation in the world. That was just kind of what we were told, right? But now that I'm an adult, I kind of understand, you know, the national debt and kind of how money works. And I think that's the biggest thing to grapple with right now as a 29-year-old to kind of almost shatter that myth that we're the wealthiest nation in the world because we can't possibly be the wealthiest nation in the world when, for lack of a better term, the amount of national debt that the United States carries, we're basically bankrupt, but they don't call it that. I'll get into that a little bit more in the next episode, but wealth is the ability to sustain oneself even if income were to stop because the money that you have working for you would be able to sustain your lifestyle. And so when I say that the United States is bankrupt, 
basically means more money has been borrowed than what is being produced. It kind of mirrors the situation that a lot of us in the United States are in, and that's we earn money, but we owe people more money than what we're earning. So that was just something that kind of stuck with me. I think shattering that idea growing up that we're the wealthiest nation in the world, right? (sighs) So hopefully all that made sense. And now I'm going to get to the application section of this episode. I wanted to talk about the unfairness of taxes. A funny thing that I read this week, I was actually emailing with my accountant because as I learn more about, you know, financial independence and investing and stuff like that, I'll email my accountant questions just to understand if I'm doing something right. And he made a joke because I was just talking about how confusing taxes and things like that are. And hence the reason why I have an accountant. But he says, why do you think they call it a tax code? And the joke there is that you have to decipher a code in order to understand it. I think a lot of people can relate to that. That's why we take our taxes to a person to do them, because we don't really understand the complexities of it. But through this book, I've learned, and this is applying kind of some of the principles here, is that taxes are not set up to be fair, so to speak. When we think of, and this kind of ties in with the idea of working for money versus making having money work for you, there's a lot of tax breaks in that investing side of things in which money is working for you, right? So let's say you invest in real estate. So you buy a house and you rent it out, right? You're a real estate investor. That person who puts money out to generate income for themselves, the person who's investing in real estate, they have so many tax breaks and loopholes that they can use to avoid being heavily taxed on the money that they're making. Whereas when you work for money, say a W-2 job where you clock in and clock out and you're working for somebody, you're taxed the most in that way of earning money. So and any person who's ever worked a W-2 job knows this. I remember my first ever paycheck. I got it. And of course, on the pay stub, it'll say FICA and all of the different things that they take out of your paycheck. And I think everyone can relate to that first paycheck where you see how much the government snatches out of your check before you see it. That is a big point that this author makes in the book is talking about how different types of earners, different types of work, or kind of that juxtaposition between are you working for money, i.e. working for somebody else who gives you a paycheck, or are you letting your money work for you? And most people probably fit into both categories, but some people rely more on what they get from working. So the goal in this book is not to say, well, there are people who work for money and work for somebody else and trying to paint it as if that's a bad thing. But the same people who work to earn a paycheck could also have money out there working for them. So they could be investing some of what they bring home. And so going back to that real estate example, a real estate investor who buys a house and rents it out every month and makes a profit pays less in taxes than, say, a school teacher who works for a school system and earns a paycheck. 
the school teacher pays way, way more in taxes than the real estate investor because of how the tax codes are set up. Obviously, this is a very nuanced thing too, but financial education is something that's really important for all of us to know so that we don't stay in a cycle of letting the government take most of our money before we see it. And so there's a lot to to learn in this book about kind of the, the differences between those two things. But again, I'm just as new to this as a lot of the people listening to this are. So I'm not going to attempt in this short episode to kind of break that down and how to make sense of it or what might be the best way because one person's approach would be a lot different than another person. So that's kind of my application is just understanding that there's not fairness in this thing called taxes. If you work for a paycheck, you're actually taxed the highest. Something you would think, well, people who are really rich pay the most in taxes, but that's actually not the case. It's the middle class and poor who actually pay the most in taxes. And we can see that with examples like leave a couple years ago, there was something that came out about Donald Trump when they went over his finances or something. And it basically showed how very little he paid in taxes as a corporation. And people were outraged because, you know, a middle class person or, you know, even low income will definitely pay more in taxes in a year than what his um, bottom line was in those examples that were broadcast to the news. And that's kind of a great example of how the tax code is not fair. So while some who are not financially educated may think, well, the richer you are, the, the more taxes you pay, but that's not the case because typically if you're a corporation or a business, there's a tons of different ways to avoid paying taxes. And the people who don't know the different ways to use the tax code end up being the ones to pay the most. So I say that because kind of going back to the idea of working for money, you can work a W-2 job for an employer, but Everyone knows the more that you work, the more taxes you pay. I have a lot of clients who are working in these high demand fields like uh, healthcare and construction and things like that, things that are really in high demand right now, in part due to the pandemic or just because of how the economy is. And I've had lots of clients tell me they're like, I'm being offered overtime with, you know, double pay and this and that. And then And, you know, from the surface, I'll say, oh, well, that's great that you're getting those opportunities. Obviously, I tell them, don't burn yourself out. But they're like, what's the point? If I work more, they just take more taxes out. It throws me into a different tax bracket. So it kind of becomes a situation where you're working more to pay the government because you hit a certain point where so much is getting taken out from that overtime and things like that, that you can barely get ahead. And so... Again, all of this is incredibly nuanced and complex and certainly over my head, but I think all of that in combination kind of makes the case of the importance of financial education. So hopefully I've been able to clearly kind of describe some of those points to you. You'll catch me next week with episode three. I'll kind of get into a little bit more about those misconceptions and miseducation that a lot of us have around money. 
And then episode four is going to be the best part because it's going to be talking about some of the ways to kind of get out of out of these financial ruts that a lot of us find ourselves in. So definitely stay tuned. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support this podcast by buying me a coffee. The link is in this episode's show notes. Thanks in advance.